Come on, let's thank our, let's thank thank our you, worship Lord. team. Thank you so much. Thank Great our to amazing see you team. in church. Great to see more of you this week. Give us a wave. We've it's missed so you loads. Okay, great to see you. Linda, you've got some scripture to read yes, as we I preach have. today. If you're so ready. Please be seated. Got your Bible. Let's open it. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you so much. So we're going to the book of Revelation this morning. Chapter 2. Starting at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that. You know, um, last week we spoke about um, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3, about the prayer of the Apostle Paul, that his prayer would that we would receive a spirit of revelation and wisdom so that we would know Christ better. Our theme is rooted. And uh, we wanted to bring to you that if we're going to be rooted in Christ then it's important to know that the love of God, the love of Christ. And Paul prays that, that we would know from, with the help of the Holy Spirit through his power how deep and wide and long is the love of Christ. And uh, for Christians, for those that follow Jesus, if we lose the sight of the love of God, not so much the love for God, but the love of God, what he's done for us, then it can, it can really affect us in our walk with him. And then our roots will, be, will go into all sorts of other things in our faith. But Paul says the most important thing for us is that I'm praying, I'm on my knees before God, praying to the Father that you'd receive the power of God to help you know Jesus and to know his love for you. You know, in, in our Christian walk, if you've been around long enough, you will know that you go for all kinds of trials and temptations and oppositions. And sometimes that can distract us from God's love for us. Many times we can question whether God really loves us because of things happen to us, whether it's from other people or circumstances. But Paul says if you're going to get rooted, we're going to need the help of God never to lose his love for us. And if we ever doubt God's love for us, we always need to look back to the cross. And sometimes our feelings are not there, but the truth is that Jesus Christ loves us so much. So when we look at, at this passage, it's quite a heavy passage. So I don't want this to be a heavy passage where, you know, you can think, wow, it's, it's quite heavy because Jesus is actually saying to a church that I hold something against you. And um, actually, it's not because the pastor's mad. And he wants to preach this message to have a go at some people that he doesn't like in church. Actually, Jesus is offended by this church. So, so what can we learn about this passage wrote to the same church that we preached about last week, the church in Ephesus? It's important to know the context and the background of this before we can really get in. I've, I've all week I've been in, lived in this passage thinking about what, what is Jesus really upset about? When you, when you look at what this church did, 
I would have said, I can't say that to the church today because they've been so committed, so totally sold out for you, yet you are saying you have a problem with them. So I've had to try and work through that. What exactly, Jesus, is the real deal with this church? Why is it that you are actually saying to them, I want you to repent and I want you to turn back to do what you did at first? What is the, the real deal? Because this, this is really important for us if we're going to be rooted in Christ. Because you can read what this church did and if that wasn't enough, then that can't be the roots that we need to, to get into our own heart. There must be something at the heart of what Jesus is saying to this church that we really need to, to, to lean into. So as we heard last week, the Apostle Paul planted this church in Ephesus. Uh, this church was full of immorality and false gods everywhere and, and idol worship and sexual immorality. But the Apostle Paul went there, planted a church, lots of other people involved uh, in, in the teaching there. And then Paul left Tim, Timothy in there to actually help and instruct the different kind of leaders in the house churches that was formed there. And so we know that when Paul was persecuted and actually died for his faith, the Apostle John then came and over, oversee the churches in Ephesus. And it was there where the Apostle John was extradited to an island called Patmos because of him preaching the gospel. Because um, the emperor... Um, I tried to get this, this name right. I'm going to call it Domitian. Um, I might, you might know it better, but let me assume that I know what I'm talking about. The emperor Domitian. Um, he was ruthless. He wanted to be worshipped. He called himself a god himself. And so what happened was, when, you, when Revelation is wrote, it's to a church that's being persecuted. It's to a church that's under pressure to worship the emperor. And so when you begin to read that, you can say, oh, I can understand now why, why John is writing something to this church and he gives them assurance that the God that they are worshipping, the God that they are putting their commitment to is the, the real God and the pressure from the emperor and the pressure for the church to worship the emperor, they would stand firm and say, no, we're not going to do that even at the cost of our lives. And so this emperor wanted to be worshipped. He also worshipped the god Apollo, which represented, interestingly enough, the god of music, poetry and prophecy. It's an interest in that, that he began to worship Apollo so he could get some advantage for the future, thinking that he would get direction for his life and purpose. And so this is the context of this church. 35 years on from when the Apostle Paul planted this church and speaks about the love of God in Ephesians to them, telling them how, how God loves them, how wide and deep is his love. 35 years later, the Apostle Paul is, is now dead. The Apostle John is now uh, placed to an island out the way for preaching the gospel. And there in a cave, this island is remote, at the, eight, the, the latest stages of his walk with Jesus, they probably say he was around 90 when he came back from Patmos and he wrote 1, 2 and 3 John, and there at the last stages of his life. And so he's in a cave, not much food around, being extradited from Ephesus, from the churches, and in that moment, listen, in, in the worst environment of the Apostle John's life, he has a revelation from Jesus. He has a revelation from Jesus that he's never experienced before. And he sees him in all his glory. Can, can you imagine that experience? You know, he's, he's on the back foot. He, he, the pressure's on him about the church. He's now, he's now removed from his people and his church. And he goes to this cave. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that he's taken by the Spirit to another realm. 
to the supernatural realm. And Jesus reveals himself to him in all his glory. He, he, he finds something about Jesus in this revelation that he didn't know years before. And so what I want to encourage you today, no matter how old you are in your faith, there is always more room for you to know more about Jesus. You can never come to a place in your life when you say, I've got God all sussed out. I know him exactly because I've been around for so long. I know the Bible. But I want to say the Apostle John walked with Jesus, experienced his power. He's the one that says that Jesus loved him more than all the rest of them. And yet at the end of his life, he has an encounter with Jesus that blows his mind, that actually moves him to his knees in worship about this amazing God, all-powerful and all-knowing. And it describes Jesus with, 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 with blazing air and eyes and all in his, and his, his, you know, his superiority. And the thing is, like, you know, even with the book of Revelation, so many people get lost looking for the mark of the beast and they forget seeing who Jesus is. The whole reason of Revelation was to show the glory of God and the power and the victory of Jesus. And we get also scared about the coming of Christ. But I want to tell you, in Christ we have security. Because we belong to him and we are his children and we no need to fear because God is in control. Even when the Romans were dictating the church and the pressure from the emperors of taking their lives, he was saying, but this is the real king. This is the real God, not the God that Demetrian set up in the temple for you to worship, but this is the real God, the real Jesus, who at the end of my life, I bow to my knees in worship to him to see him in more splendor and more glory, so much so I can't even even look at his face and we need to we need to understand that that Jesus in in revelation in all our walk with God it's all about Jesus and he will tell us that when Jesus speaks to this church and he says to John I have a message for you to, to, to speak to this church in Ephesus I have some amazing things to tell them about how great they are but I have one thing against them that I want to bring to their attention because it's affecting me as their God. What, what for me in this passage, for me reading through this, I realised it wasn't so much about the church, but it was about Jesus and his heart towards his people. And so I want to take you through this story. I want you to imagine that the elders in Ephesus were sat around their isolated tables. And there they had a letter from the Apostle John. And he, and he begins to read and, and they don't see all the letter. They just begin to read a bit and then they turn the next page over. And, and all they come to the first page and, the, and they begin to, to, to read what Jesus has got to say about them and their commitment and their, and their work towards him. And I can imagine them be, being so excited about the recommendation, the commendation from Jesus to this church. You know, when John speaks in Revelation chapter 1, he speaks to them, to the stars and the angels. It's actually referring to the leaders of the church. And he, he represents the candlesticks as the people, the church, who are supposed to bring light to the world. But yet, the interesting thing about these candlesticks, they're made of clay. And these candlesticks were so fragile. But you know what's so exciting about this passage when John starts in Revelation? He talks about the stars and the angels who are the leaders of the church and the candlesticks, the candle lamps, which are the people of God in the church who's supposed to bring light, but yet are fragile and easily broken. But he, he says this about them. He says that they are golden lampstands. And he said they are secure because they're in my hands. 
I hold the stars and the angels and the candlesticks. I hold them in my hands. And he said, and John says this in John 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. No matter how much the church is falling apart, no matter how much church, the, the, the COVID is affecting our gatherings, let me tell you something, Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I don't care how your life may be falling apart today, Jesus hold of you. No matter how fragile you are, no matter what's going on in your world right now, Jesus has hold of you with his hands and no one can snatch you out of it. And we need to grasp the, 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 what John is saying to this church And Jesus says to them, and they're reading this, I know. He said, I know. I know all about you, church. I talked about last week about giving God room in your life, in every room in your life, every area, access to you as a person. And we think that that, that God doesn't know all about us, but he said to the church, I know. In other words, I see. I, I see something from a personal observation. When you read the first chapter, it says that Jesus walked through the candlesticks, the the areas of the church, just like when he went in the temple and he observed every area and looked for fruit in people's lives. And Jesus said, I know all about you. I know your works. And I can imagine the elders and looking at each other and thinking, oh, this is exciting. We know how committed we have been to God. I know your works. It describes the kind of action or deeds and activity and often refers to an occupation, labor, or the things produced by efforts in life. It's something that is, is committed to more than ever we can even think about. He said, I know your hard work. The word there is labor. It describes the hardest and most worrisome kind of labor, and it describes toil and fatigue. In the picture, it's the, a person who gives everything to a project or an assignment, striving and working with every fiber of their being. And this is what I couldn't get in my head, that, that Jesus is commending this church and commending the Christians for, for this kind of labor, the labor that, that takes everything out of you, the assignment, the approach that they've given our lives to it. And Jesus is commending them for all their effort, and it refers to physical, mental, and spiritual labor. And he says, also, I know your patience. Something what Jesus commends the church, it means to stay or remain in one spot is to keep a position. In a military sense, it pictures soldiers ordered to maintain their positions even in the face of opposition. This church was in opposition by the emperor wanting to worship him, but they said, we are not going to be moved by persecution. We're not going to give up doing what God's called us to do. We're going to stand our ground and we're going to be patient. We're going to stay until soon we, we see a breakthrough in our lives. And this is the church that Jesus has got a problem with. And that's what I struggle with. And then he says this, but I know also that you've tolerated wicked people. I don't know whether I could actually preach this message to a church like this. How could you have anything against a church like this or a Christian like this? I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. I know that you stand for the word of God. I know you you stand that you're not willing to go with the culture of the day. And you speak up for what is black and white and what is right. And you honour me with your name. And you're easily quick against those who are doing wicked things for other people. That you will stand for righteousness. And you will stand for justice. And you are ready there to take a hit 
for what is right. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. And then he goes on one step further. And he said, I know that you've tested the the apostles that are not true and have found them as liars. See, Ephesus was a place where people wanted to go and preach in this church. And people would come and call themselves apostles and wanted to be a part of that and teach in front of that. But they said, we're not letting anyone on our platform until we've tested them. We want to know that you may call yourself an apostle, but I want to know whether you've got a real call of God on your life. And there's evidence that you're doing this to serve the church or yourself. It's the word tested there is to removing impurities from the metal of the ancient world. It also describes the intense examination used to test coins to determine whether they were authentic or counterfeit. Jesus says to them, I know how diligent you are in testing those who are called apostles and you make sure that you are guarding your church with all of your heart. This is the church that Jesus then goes on to say this. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the elders reading that letter? Let's just suppose that they've not turned the page yet. I can't imagine if that's me. Because you know what? Sometimes in ministry life, we, we go through this. I can't imagine then Jesus saying to me, but I've got something against you. Have we going, what do you mean, God? I've gone through all this. I've gone through the persecution. I've gone through the emails, the letters, the letdowns. Uh, you know, I've st- I, I'm willing to stand my ground and you've got something against me? Can you imagine them reading that? I mean, before that, they'll be looking at each other, putting their thumbs up, going, aren't we awesome? Aren't we committed? And then Jesus says, but yeah, I have a problem. I have a problem. So much so that you've hurt me. And this is where I want to get today because I don't want to leave you condemned today because this kind of message with that passage can condemn a load of people because we have to find the heart of why Jesus does this. Because when we find the heart of it, we realise what God is all about, what Jesus is after. He says you've forsaken your first love. He never says that you've lost it. He said you've left it. In other words, you've been distracted by something. The involuntary release of something once held dear. It means to neglect or ignore or to unintentionally leave something behind. Remember the story when Jesus' mum and dad went to the temple, Passover. And there they went to church but something distracted them so much so that they left Jesus there. So they did the stuff. They went to church. They did the right thing as a Christian. But you know what? They were so distracted that when service was over, they left. And do you know what? They left Jesus at church. And I thank you so much for coming today. I thank you for all the commitment that you continue online. But I want to say to you that, you know, when you finish church today at 12 o'clock or 12.30, whatever that time is, I I just hope that you take Jesus home with you. I hope that he's actually preeminence in every decision you make at home and in your workplace. Or do you leave him behind at church? But what I like about this story, they turn around once they realise that they lost him and they went back to find him. 
And maybe some of you are in church today and you realise that you, the only time you engage and talk about Jesus is when you come on Sunday. But when you leave church, Jesus is no longer in the picture of your life. And that's what offends him. Because Jesus is not a Sunday God. You have to love him with everything. With all of your life, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And so they went back to look for him. And I've read through the commentaries. I wanted to really grasp what is it, Jesus, what you're saying to me in my life. Because I know as a pastor, I tell you, it's so difficult at times to, to do things because you think, you know, oh, do I have to really go through this? I have to be reminded of why I'm doing it. You've lost, you've left your first love. And so looking at commentaries, listening to other people preach this sermon because I wanted to learn. I wanted to see other preachers that's better than me. To, what do they say about this passage? And, you know, trying to get that in my head and asking the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to me first? And what does it mean to this church? And how can we apply it to us today? I think the penny dropped. And it was all about my devotion. It was all about my affection. And ministry... And Christianity can affect that. All the good works in the world, all the things that we do for God can be a distraction for a devotion of God. And I begin to say, what about in my life right now? Because I'm working so hard and COVID, the, the ante has gone up a level with working hard, even though we're not gathering. There's so much to do. And I'm working for the Lord. But there is distractions, just like Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had to make. And then she said to Jesus, listen, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? And Jesus said, you know, I love your commitment to me. I love your passion to work for me, but you know, I want to tell you something. You are worried and upset about many things, but a few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. What was the one thing? Not to work for God with all your heart, mind and strength. No, no. To love the Lord. See, the first point of loving God was with your heart, not with your hands or your head. And this woman was putting her work before the heart of Jesus. And he said, what she's done, what she has chosen to do, even though there's things to be done, is to sit at my feet and listen to me, to give me her affection, to give me her heart. And that's what Jesus was saying to this church. You've left your first love. Consider and remember how far you've fallen. I don't know about you, but if you um, are married, I want you to just go back to the first time that you met your spouse first love encounter did you know that when I first met Linda I, I had loads of friends I was sort of like a man's man thing you know you didn't like you didn't like forsake your mates for any girl no that wasn't you've got to be like man's man you can't you seem to be soft if you would swap your relationship for a girl for your mates but when I met Linda, let me tell you something. I said goodbye to my mates. Why, my affection shifted. 
It was first love. And it wasn't a chore to say goodbye to me. No, I'm not coming to the pub tonight. I'm going to go and see Linda. Something shifted with first love. Something that I was totally committed to before, sacrificing my friends, even though they didn't like me for it, was not even an option, wasn't even a chore for me. In fact, going buying Linda something or a present, what never really counted the cost, was actually I couldn't wait to actually see what she would like buying us some stuff. There was an excitement in first love. Do you know something? I was I actually, you know, made sure I smelt good. And I know some of you are nudging your spouses now. I'm going, you need to get back to that. But there's just something about first love that what we encountered when we first met Jesus. Do you remember that? Do you remember when, when, when God first opened his love to you? Do you remember when you first knew you was forgiven? Do you remember when you realized that God loves you so much and there was a freedom in your heart that, oh my goodness, I don't deserve this, but God has done this for me, that Jesus is alive. Did you remember that? I remember it so well and it's taken me back. I remembered back and I've been to compare myself over this week to what I was like then. Even though I've, I've grown to be more, hopefully more mature, there are some things that I've left behind because the stuff gets caught up in our walk with God. And I remember that I couldn't, like Jackie said, couldn't wait to get to church today. When you know you're losing your first love, you say, do I have to go today? When's he going to shut up? Can't wait to leave. It's not a preacher's problem, it's a heart problem. It's a first love issue. Couldn't wait to get to the meetings. Couldn't wait to serve the church anywhere any time to help because I was doing it for Jesus. I wasn't doing it for position. I wasn't doing it for a title because I didn't know about titles then or position. All I know was that the God that now has saved me, I just want to give something back because of his love towards me. And, it, and, and you know what? Staying late, going early, it wasn't an issue for me then. Why? Because I was in love with Jesus I was in love with the love that was exposed to my life and I was free. I knew I was forgiven and, and I just wanted to give something back to God and the sacrifice, it wasn't how much it would cost me. It didn't matter what, how much it would cost. It would just said, I'm all in. And somehow through life, for me, 35 years on, I've, I've lost a little bit of that. Where, where something begins to change because it says, how far have you fallen? I'm, I'm nearly going to come to a close today. But I, I, one preacher preaches, and I've got to tell you, this is not my stuff, this is somebody else's, but it was so good. It really helped me clarify my own heart. It says, remember how far you have fallen. When Jesus said you've lost your first love, he's talking about agape love. The, the, the love that's unconditional, that when we first got saved, we went to church with no strings attached. That I, I don't care what the worship's like, what the preacher is like, whether what the light's like, I'm going for God. And, and I'm not going with an agenda. It was an agape love that I'm, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do what I can. And I'm just doing it because I love God 100% and I've got no other, nothing attached to my motive of going to church today or serving God. You know, when, when I've got our friends here, Julian Simon, that we was at Bible college together. And when, when they sold their home and when they packed their jobs in, when we sold our home and packed our jobs in, when, when these guys that joined Northampton moved their jobs and, and relocated, it it wasn't because of something attached to it. It's because we loved God. 
and we respond in obedience to his love and call on our lives. That was the reason why we do it and still do it today. And Jesus said, you, you, you've left your first love, the agape love that, that you sold out to me for in the beginning. And when things get tough, we, we, we want to we reduce our love. And this guy says this, and it really challenged my heart. He said, and what happens? We start with our first love, the agape love. And then we move to other kinds of love that's described in the Greek. It's called uh, eros love, which is, is the passionate love. And then there's the, the filial love, which is the friendship love. And he said, what happens in church life is that our love begins to fall. And we operate out of a, 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 an eros love that I'm only going to church if I get something for me. It's, 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 if there's anything in it for me, I'm going to do it. But if not, I'm not going to be involved. Our, our love has fallen from unconditional agape that it's all about Him. But now it's got to be all about me. And if I don't get I want what I want when I come to church, if I don't get the right songs or the right length of sermon or the right position in the ministry team, then I'm, I'm not going to be involved because, because my first love has dropped to a selfish love. It's all about me now and it's no longer about Him. And then the second kind of love is the filial love. It's the love of friendship. It's a bargaining kind of relationship that we say to God, if I do this, then you will give me that back. It's like when we at Christmas and we buy some of our friends' presents and we spend £50 on them and we expect a £50 present back. And when you get your present and it's 50 pence, you think to yourself, I would never have spent 50 quid on them if I knew I was going to get this back. And this kind of love is a, is a bargaining love. I'll give my God my tithe if I get if He opens a storehouse for me. I'll serve God if, 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 I can, if I'll get a next step promotion. And there's always a string attached to that kind of love. And Jesus was saying to this church, I know all your deeds, I know your works, but somehow there's some things attached to that that you are credited up to your own effort and you forgot the reason why you do it. And the only reason why you should do what you do for God is because the love I've shed for you and I don't owe you nothing. And you've left that. And many Christians sadly in church life they move from an encounter of a love with God and they come in church and they want to bargain with God. And then they hold the church accountable to what they expect. If they don't get it, they'll leave. And Jesus says to the church, and maybe lockdown has not been given by God, but allowed by God for us to examine our lives as a church and why we do what we do. Is it because we love God? Because He's loved us? Or is there something else attached to our relationship? And Jesus says this, the most important thing for me, church, is that I have got your attention because of the love I've shown you. And it hurt me. He said, you've hurt me so deeply that I need to bring it to your attention so much so. If you do not return, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close shop. Wow. And I pray for our church. That even though our heart is to reach the lost and all that we try and do is to re reach some people, let me tell you something. The reason why we do what we do is to worship Jesus first. He has to be first. And the reason why you've come today is not to see the new lights or the new stage and, and I love that. 
But the reason why we've come today is so we can do what John did and we see Jesus who he is and we fall on our knees and say, Lord, we worship you. And we do not come with an agenda. And whatever we do from this moment, we do it because of your love that you showed on me. And if we get something back in return, then awesome. John says this in Revelation, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be kingdoms and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul will take us about 35 years as I come to a close and he says, as for you, you were dead in your sins And we, by very nature, were deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we're dead in our transgressions and sin. It's by grace you have been saved, not by works, so no one can boast. And God raised us up and seated us within him with the heavenly realms and blessed us in the heavenly place with every spiritual blessing in Christ and he chose us and he adopted us and he forgave us and then he says then we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do that is being rooted that's what we get back to the drawing board when we feel like packing in following Jesus and say God will you do something fresh in my heart somehow I've allowed other people to do so I've had my own agenda or I have my, my own presumption of what this deal is and the privilege that God would choose us and save us and die for us and our response to that church is worship And that's why we do what we do. My last sermon three weeks ago was that what we do as a church, we're helping carry people to the feet of Jesus. But one up from that is that we are here to kneel at the feet of Jesus and give him all the honour and all the praise. And I want to say this to you, God owes us nothing because he gave us everything. And I'm coming to a close because he says, I need you to repent. I need you to remember what I've done for you. I want you to turn around. I want you to get back to your first love. And I, I, I begin to say to God, how can I start to do that? I, I'm trying my best serving you, trying, trying to do all the things to keep your people gathered and all this stuff and, and everybody likes it. And there's all the stuff and your own personal life and family life and Lord, how do, how, what is it that you want from me? And, I, and I'm going to just share something very briefly. We're going to sing with a song. And, and I was thinking about, you know, what worship songs that we need to do and thinking, listening to other people. On, on, and God said to me, look, he said, Jason, remember the early days when you used to go and lock yourself in a room and just sing to me? And it's like, I felt the Holy Spirit. I know you can't sing, but you used to go in a room, shut the door, you used to sing to me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, where's that gone? And so the last week, I've shut myself away. And I put some worship on and I begin to sing to the Lord.
because that's first love for me. I know what I used to do at first. And then we get professional. What is it that God wants you to get back to as we come to a close today? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Because I don't want no one to leave condemned today because it's not about a, a message of condemnation. This is being rooted in what Jesus wants. Not what we want, what Jesus wants. Father, I thank you for every person in this place that's given their, their sweat, their finances, their commitment to your work. I thank you, Father God, for all the stuff that we put up with and go through, disappointments and challenges of life. But Lord, if there's anybody in this room that you're speaking to right now within their heart, that you're saying to them, I need you to get back to the first love. You've left some stuff in the midst of this journey. And Father, as a church, if there's anything that we've left behind in trying to do the work of God, I ask that we bring it back. Start in my life. And so, Father, I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us, empower us to align ourselves with Jesus. You know, as we sing this song, you know what's so astounding about this message? It's actually Jesus took the time to make a point that he, he misses us. That, that our presence is more important to him than anything in the world. As we sing this song together, let it be a prayer from our hearts. Thanks, guys.